If you would take out the Word of God and turn to 1 Peter. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2 of 1 Peter chapter 1. And as you turn there, uh, let me uh, refer you to a couple of things here. Uh, if you want to get connected to Ashland, uh, you want to be a part of what God is doing here, you want more questions answered, uh, You'll know how all of this works, what's our past, what's our future. Uh, there's a connect card uh, that should have been in every seat here today. If you'll fill that out for us, that'll help us connect with you. Also on the back, you see what we call essentials at Ashland. And we want to be very clear about uh, what, what we want to tell you, what we expect, and uh, what it means to be a part of our church. We want to make sure that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so some of you here today need to ask the question, am I a Christian? We want to make sure that you're plugged into a local body and you're serving Jesus, partnering uh, with a local church. And so you need to ask the question, am I a member of a church? And uh, those who are members here and who've been associated and attending here for some time, you today need to ask the question, am I connected to a small group, a Bible fellowship group? That's where this large crowd of people becomes small and accountability and relationships and fellowships become intimate and where we're mobilized for ministry. And so you need to ask the question on this Connect card, uh, am I plugged in? Am I engaged in a Bible fellowship group? And then from that, uh, there are those of us who, who long for gospel friendships, accountability, living life together, folks that are walking with us in, in very serious ways as we walk through uh, our lives that can be difficult and hard at times. Uh, and you need to ask the question, do I have those gospel friendships? And on the back there, uh, there's a place for you to mark off on that and we'll help um, you know, talk you through that. And then we want everybody here serving. We want everybody serving in some way. Our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our college ministry, men's, women's ministry. We have international ministry. We have mission projects that are going on. We want everyone serving in some way. And what we do and what's on this card, that, that's just lists and check marks and ways to help you. That doesn't sum up who you are as a Christian. And that's why today we're putting out what we are calling our uh, witness philosophy here at Ashland. Um, this is a booklet that you can pick up in the back or you can go to ashland.church witness. Uh, and we want everyone who's a member here, first of all, you need to read this. You need to work through it with your family. Uh, and if you're trying to figure out what is Ashland, the church in the warehouse, the I don't even know, is this some sort of design that they have to communicate something back here? That's a wall and bathrooms, in case you didn't know. Uh, we got the question, where are the bathrooms? Well, hopefully there's going to be more right there in the weeks to come. Uh, but we want to declare the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord over sin and death, beginning here in Richmond and to the ends of the earth. That's what, who we're going to be uh, as a church. Uh, that, that's what we want our church to be. And so I encourage you, if you just want to know more about our church, pick one of these up, go through it. You want to know where do I fit in here? I show up every week for worship and I'm trying to figure out what, I, you know, what part I'm going to play in all this. Go through this document, read through it, go through it with your family. Our BFGs are going to start going through it uh, this afternoon uh, as they meet. And so uh, this is going to help you out just trying to figure out what is Ashland, who is Ashland, and, and what does that mean. 
Well, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Um, we begin a study today that we're calling Dispersed, and uh, we're going to move through this book of the Bible together. And as you think about that, when we come to the Scriptures, we're, this isn't just a pep talk in the worship service for us. Like, this isn't just sort of to give you some tips for your week, and we read the Word of God, and that sort of makes it sound good. That's not what we're doing here. As a church, we believe that we live and serve and function under the authority of Jesus Christ. And we come before His Word, and we ask King Jesus what you would require of us. We ask Jesus before His Word, who are we? And so as a church, we want to know the Word of God. We want to dig into the Word of God in very serious ways to, to, to dig to the depths to figure out uh, the glories of what it means to follow Jesus Christ in this world. And so that's what we do when we come before the Word of God week after week after week. And it's why when we read the Scripture together at this time, we stand in reverence to the Word of God. The Word of God is our authority. The words of Christ... This is our standards. So 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to go over verses 1 and 2 today. Um, we'll cover more verses in the weeks ahead, but that's where we're going to start today. Some of you think, oh, short sermon, and if you've been here before, you know that's not the case. So, <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect as exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Oh God, we pray in these moments that grace and peace would be multiplied to us, that it would reverberate in our lives. God, we pray that in these moments we would come to know and love Jesus more, that we would see more clearly areas of our life that we need to bring under His authority, that we need to bring under uh, uh, the counsel of His Word. And by your Spirit, the power of your Spirit today, you would make us more like Christ. God, that's what we want from this time in your Word. That is our prayer. And ultimately, that is our hope. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It was the summer of 2016, and my cousin's husband was killed in a horrible accident at work. And she called me and asked me if I would speak at her funeral. And the funeral was held in my hometown, Lewisburg, Tennessee. And it was at a church where I had tons and tons of close friends. But it was a church I'd never thought once about attending growing up. It was a church I'd never set foot in. You see, my cousin was married to a black man. And the funeral was held in a church mostly of African Americans. And so at this funeral, there were about 300 people present, packed into this church building. And there sat my family, 16 white folks. And we looked out of place. We looked like, who are these folks? And we felt out of place. 
And the sermon was very different than what we, or, or the service was very different than what we had expected. I was literally one of 17 pastors on the stage that day. And I was one pastor out of 10 that spoke or prayed that day. And so it was a very long service. And I watched my family the whole time. And they were trying to figure out everything that was going on. This didn't, we, we were not used to this. And that afternoon we got home and we were talking about the service. And my aunt said, now I know what Stanley, my cousin's husband, who's a black man, now I know how he felt at our church every week. Now I understand sort of the awkwardness that goes on when we invite our African-American friends to church with us. And it made me look at my son. I have two sons who were born in Ethiopia, two sons that we adopted in 2009. And I looked at one of my sons and I thought, this is a perfect opportunity to have some heart-to-heart about race and those things. And I said to him, how, what do you think about that? You know, really, this is the first time since you arrived in Kentucky. This is the first time since you've been in this, uh, this country that you've been among the majority in any place ever. And I'm trying to get him to see what had just happened. And he's looking at me going, what are you talking about? I was like, what did you think about that? And he said, there was a lot of black people there. And I realized as I was talking to him, he didn't understand that he was one of the black people. He <laughs> was like, what? Yeah, that was weird. And I was, I was trying. Then I began out of just some, you know, this has got to be a special moment about race. I've got to help him see who he is and all of that. And I began to push a little harder and he didn't get it. He, he didn't understand what, what had happened that day. This is also the son who, just a couple years ago, we were filling out some paper, and there was a place on it that said African American. And we said, okay, you need to check that box. And he said, I'm not an African American. I'm from Ethiopia. (laughs) And some of you don't know geography, you know why that doesn't make sense. (laughs) But it was hard for him to understand who he was and his identity in that moment, it just didn't make sense to him. Peter writes to a group of Christians in this world, and he says, it's going to be impossible for you to be out of touch with how strange you are in the world, how different you are. You are a majority among the majority. And and you are this prophetic minority in the world that is declaring something that's otherworldly. And there's going to be a clash and you're strange and you're odd and you're weird. And it's going to be impossible for you not to see that. He he writes here, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And we talked last week in uh, John chapter 21 of Peter and his life. He was this roughneck fisherman, full of profanity. He was a Galilean. And Jesus walked up to him while he was fishing and simply said, follow me. And he dropped his net and he left the family business to be a part of Jesus' mission in the world. Peter became a part of Jesus' inner circle. 
At one time, Peter declared to Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, upon you, upon the proclamation coming out of your mouth, I will build my church. And it's what we see in Acts chapter 2 when he stands up and he preaches the gospel. Jesus begins to build his church there. But when the rubber met the road, when Jesus was taken away to be crucified, what did Peter do? I never knew him. I don't know who he is. This man he had given his life over to. This man he had left everything to follow. I don't know who he is. And so what is Jesus' response to Peter's denial? Well, as soon as Jesus gets out of the tomb, who does he go to? He goes to Peter. He begins to teach Peter about the Old Testament and how he fulfilled the Old Testament. He goes to Peter and he restores him to this mission. He calls Peter. He says, what I want you to do is feed my sheep. He restores Peter from his failure and calls him to mission to pastor his church. And so when we read 1 Peter, that's exactly what we see. We see Peter restored, pastoring Jesus' sheep, shepherding the flock of God. And notice here, he calls himself an apostle. The word means to be sent, a sent one. The apostles in the New Testament were those who had seen Jesus firsthand. The apostles in the New Testament are called the foundation of the church. And so while the gospel is moving to the ends of the earth, while the Bible is being written, the apostles are, their teaching is the foundation of the church. The teaching of the apostles is how the church lives and functions. It's under their authority until the word of God is complete. But notice he says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. So often when we think about Jesus, we think that's his first and last name. No, that is a title given to Jesus of Nazareth. And he is Savior King. He is the King who has come to save his people. He is the King who has come to establish a kingdom of redemption and forgiveness of sins. And that is who has sent Peter. And notice he writes to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This was the region of Asia Minor. All of these places, churches have been planted and established. And Peter writes to these churches. This letter would be circulated all around this area. And it would have been written to Christians who are suffering. You see, there was an emperor named Nero and he hated Christians. He even blamed Christians for trying to burn down Rome. And in response to that, he would use Christians as candles at his parties. He would dip them in oil and set them on fire and hoist them up so you could see at his parties. Often throughout Rome, because of Nero, Christians were used as the street lamps. And that is the sort of suffering and persecution that these Christians are enduring. It is reverberating in all of these areas. And so Peter writes to Christians who are losing their job. Peter writes to Christians who their, their family members are believing the narrative of Nero. These are some evil folks that you don't want around. And they're being shunned. These are the people that Peter writes to. 
And he's writing to them and he says, how do you process such suffering in the world? And the point of 1 Peter, the point of the sermon today is he says, remember who you are. Remember, as you suffer, as you are shunned, as you are persecuted, as you are alienated, you remember who you are in the world. And notice how he describes them here. Elect exiles. This is Old Testament Jewish imagery. And it began when the people of God were first held captive by the Assyrians and they were pushed out of their land and they were held captive by the Babylonians and they were called exiles because they were taken to foreign lands and they were ruled by foreign kings. And the people of God, God's chosen people, were described as exiles. Now the word elect simply means to be chosen or selected. Old Testament Israel was God's choice people. Exiles here, they are aliens, they are refugees, they are foreigners, they are strangers, sojourners in foreign land. But notice this description here of the dispersion. Now this would have been very common to anybody he was writing to because there were Jewish communities set up all over the place. Away from Jerusalem, away from the temple, they would set their own communities up all over the Roman world at this time. And Peter is invoking such language. Chosen, foreigners, refugees of the dispersion to describe the churches throughout this area. And he's trying to communicate to them who you are in the world. You are foreigners. You're not at home in this world. Let let me help frame the suffering for you. The the suffering you're enduring is because this isn't your home. You are chosen for another home. You are away from your home at this time. You are dispersed in the world as exiles. You see... As Christians, you are living, exiled, scattered throughout the world in foreign lands under foreign rulers. And the reason you are strangers is because you may live in a foreign land, but you have submitted to another king, and his name is Jesus. You see, you live in a world that is held sway by the rule of sin and Satan. And you see the effects of his kingdom all over the place. You see sin just multiplying and reproducing throughout the world. You see death overcoming the world. And yet, you realize as you look out, you are a part of a kingdom. You have submitted to another king who brings forth holiness and righteousness and life. And that's your kingdom. And so there's sort of this identity crisis with Christians in this world. Who am I? Am I a part of this world? Or am I a part of the world to come? And he says, I want to frame it up for you. You are not a part of this world. The point he's making here is this world is not your home. You will see glimmers of goodness because God created the world good. You will see glimmers of Jesus' glory in this world now because Jesus wants us to taste the glory to come. But this is not fully and finally your home. This place will not satisfy you until it is made good again by Jesus. And some of you here today have forgotten this world isn't your home. And you are placing all of your hope in Maybe it's government for you. If we could just get the government right, this place would be better. And there's always more to do. There's always another election. 
There's always another twist, another turn. You know why? This isn't your home. And even as you work for the glory of Christ to see those things happen, this isn't your home. Don't put your hope in those things. Some of you are making this place your home and you have an insatiable desire for more stuff. You're asking the question, what's the next thing I can buy? What's the next thing I can set before me? What is the next thing I can do? Some of you have have an insatiable desire for the next thing. And you know why? You're trying to make this place your home. You have forgotten who you are. You have forgotten you are a part of a better kingdom that will meet all of your needs. Government, desires, the pleasures that are coming in the kingdom of Christ will fulfill all of those things. Some of you today are putting your hope in the church. We even talk about this around here. The church is to be heaven on earth. And sometimes we forget it's still a flawed place full of people who fail us all the time. And we forget that, and we try to make this our eternal home, even though we taste that here, and we're left lacking, and we're frustrated with other people, and we're frustrated with what goes on. This isn't our home. This will always be tainted with sin. This place will always be tainted with death and destruction. And we can't make our home there here. And it helps us understand who we are. But then he begins to describe even more. This isn't your home. You're a part of another place. And notice your hope is in an eternal father. Notice verse 2 as we continue. You are elect exiles. You are chosen. Notice, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He tells them, you are elect exiles by God's eternal design. We see that word foreknowledge and we usually think that God is looking forward to something. He's trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future and then he will react to it. God doesn't function that way. He knows everything from the beginning. And if he was to look forward to what you're going to do, what you're going to say, all he is going to see is sin and rebellion. And his response every time is going to be judgment. No, what this word means is God chooses to know you. Get this. God chooses to know you before anything is known, knowing all that will be known. That's what foreknowledge is. That God chooses to know you before anything is known, knowing all that will be known. And notice the knowledge here. It's not just some informational thing. It's not just facts about what's going to happen. God already knows that. No, it is intimate relational knowledge. Notice. Some of you are getting caught up on theological debate at this point. Notice the point here. He knows you as a father. However you define foreknowledge, notice the end word there. Father. God knows you ahead of time as your Father in Jesus Christ. Is that not mind-blowing? Does that not impact everything you see before you right now? Does that not impact what you're thinking about you're going to do this afternoon and tomorrow? No matter what you face in eternity past, God knew me as Father. And so our relationship with God, so often we talk about it, and it's this mystical, subjective thing, and we're trying to figure out what God is and where He is. No, God is a Father. 
He loves you as a father. Fathers meet our deepest relational needs. They establish our identity. They establish our security. They establish who we are in the world. And so the Christian in Christ, if you believe the gospel, you never have to worry about who you are. God is your father. And he decided to be your father in eternity past, to set his love upon you, to give you this glorious identity as a son. He made the decision to adopt you, knowing you would rebel, knowing you would sin. He says, I'm going to give him, her, an identity in my son. He planned to provide for you security as a son. He has always been committed to making you like the son. That's how you know God, as a father. It's not this abstract trying to... He is your father in Jesus Christ. And that's how you relate to him as a son. Now, there is glorious hope in that for every Christian. Because as we said, we're strangers in this world. How do you find hope? Knowing you've never been a stranger to the Father. You've never been a stranger to God in Christ. His eternal plans for you have always been in motion for you. You've never been left alone. He knows you. He loves you. And here's the point. Some of you here today, you are in the loneliest stage of your life. Your kids, they're off to college. You can't even figure out who you are and what's supposed to happen next. Some of you are in the loneliest stage of your life. You've lost a dear friend to death. And you're trying to figure out how to replace that void. Some of you, you feel shunned. There are people who you put your trust in and and you put too much trust in them. They were flawed sinners and they unintentionally hurt you because they're not sovereign and they couldn't provide for you security and everything you need. Some of you here today, that's your father that comes to mind. And and some of you have been intentionally hurt. There have been people in your lives who have hurt you out of sin and wickedness and you feel in your gut loneliness today. I want to tell you this, if you have believed in Christ and you trust him for salvation and you are following him, you have never been alone. There's this glorious hope in a father who has always been for you and he is still for you. And here is the glory of the gospel. He, there's a step there. He decided, some of you back there are like, whoa. He decided to know you knowing you would sin. So he ain't stopped knowing he ain't stopped knowing you now. That's Tennessee coming out again. He decided to know you, knowing everything you would do, the good and the bad. And he still says, I love you. I loved you then and I love you now. So embrace the love of the Father amidst your loneliness. This world isn't your home. And there's no relationship here that's going to fulfill that eternal void not supposed to. God has designed that only Him as Father would fulfill that eternal void. But notice it continues according to the foreknowledge of the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. The word here means to set apart. It means to be holy, to be sanctified. 
It is where we begin to experience this knowledge of the Father. It's where the gospel becomes active in our life and we are set apart to God, set apart to Him in holiness for His authority and for His use. And notice the clarifier here. We are sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. What this, this, this phrase here, obedience to Jesus, it describes the authority that we have been placed under. God knows us and he sets us apart to be holy. What does that look like? We obey Jesus. Jesus is the definition of holiness. Jesus is the only one who's ever obeyed God perfectly. He's the only one who has always submitted to his rule. And so Jesus defines the standard of holiness. He defines the standard of sanctification to be set apart, to be made holy. And so as we sung today, holiness has, his, has a name and it's Jesus. And so some of you here today, you think about holiness and you think about wearing long dresses and short ties. People who do that can be holy, but that's not the definition of holiness. Some of you are here today and you think about holiness and you think about a list of programs and things you've got to do to be made holy. No, holiness is Jesus. And if you want to be holy, set apart to God, you obey Jesus. And notice the Spirit does this in our life when the gospel first comes. The Spirit makes our hearts new. He births us again. And you know why the Spirit births you again by the power of the Word of God in the Gospel? So you would obey Jesus. When you become a Christian, the Spirit changes your heart so you would follow and believe in Jesus as the only one who can save you from your sins. And then the Spirit lives in you to set you apart to obey Jesus and to make you like Jesus. Notice the way this works. The Father's Love for you as a son is experienced by the Spirit's work to make you like the son in obedience. And the point of 1 Peter is this. If you're going to be like the son, you're going to suffer like the son. The son suffered. And the son turned to his disciples and said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. And so the Spirit calls us to obey Christ, and it means suffering in the world. The Spirit calls us to be set apart like Christ, and it means suffering in this world. That's why the call to be a Christian begins with this. You believe in Christ, you follow Christ, and Jesus wants to explain what that means. It means taking up your cross and following Him. Often we think, well, that means if I have a bad day, I still need to be a Christian. No, it's much more severe than that. When Jesus called folks to follow him, he says, take up your cross. Be like saying, I'm going to be executed and you're coming with me. That's what he said. I'm going to the gas chamber. Take up your gas chamber and come with me. And what he is saying there is not just some generic suffering in the world. It's suffering for being a Christian. We shouldn't be shocked by that. As we are made like Christ, we will stand out. We will be distinct. We will be elect exiles who are strange refugees in this world. And it will mean difficulty for us. And that's crazy to the world around us. We live in a world where everyone is serving themselves. They are committed to their good. 
And when you believe in Jesus, the one who is always committed to your good, you're no longer only committed to your good. You are freed up to serve others. And the world looks at you and goes, that's crazy. You should serve yourself. You should take care of yourself. You need more me time. And yet when you're always serving others in the name of Jesus, it's weird. It's crazy. You're an alien. Now notice I didn't say you should be cheesy if you're a Christian. A lot of times we think about being different in the world as Christians. We think, I'm just cheesy. That's why a lot of people don't want to be Christians. Because they think we're cheesy. No, there is a grit And there is an edge to the difference that we are to make in the world. And it is this radical, blood-stained self-sacrifice that the world looks on and says, that's weird, even if it means suffering for the sake of the gospel. This strangeness that we experience as sons is, is the work of the Father by the Spirit shaping us to be like the Son, to obey the Son. And it's a part of His eternal plan for us. Who are we in the world? We're loved by the Father. We are being led by the Spirit to be like the Son. But also notice we are marked out by blood. It didn't get weird enough. It's really weird here. Notice, and for the sprinkling of His blood. Now, this is imagery from the Old Testament temple. In the, in the Old Testament, the sanctuary in the temple, it was this place set apart fully under the authority of God. But for anyone to come into the presence of God or to be under His authority, something had to be judged. And that's why we have animals that are sacrificed and the blood is wiped on the temple. The blood is wiped on utensils used in the temple, the people in the temple, the altars in the temple. Even the priests were covered in blood at times to say they are set apart under God's authority and someone's life has been taken so that they can do that. Something has been judged so they can be set set apart to God under His authority. And so when we see blood, we have to remember this represents judgment. And it represents judgment for sin. All sin must be judged. And death must occur for sin. And so when the temple is marked out in blood, it is a symbol of judgment. Something has been judged so you can be God's people. At one point, Moses is making a covenant with the people of God and he takes blood and he throws it on all of them. Sprinkles, literally, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people with blood. Why? That's that's nasty, by the way. What he is saying is, you're God's people. And judgment has occurred for you. And he's your God because this judgment has happened for you. To be set apart to God, a life had to be taken. Someone had to be judged. And in the gospel, that's what we say. I'm set apart to God as my Father. The Spirit is setting me apart to obey Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has been judged for me. His life has been taken and that's the only way I can know God as Father. That's the only way that the Spirit lives within me is because Jesus has been judged in my place. And so this is why Peter will tell the church, you are a holy priesthood set apart by the blood of Christ. You know what that means? You're a priesthood covered in blood. He'd say to the church, you are a temple covered in blood. And again, this is graphic imagery and it's meant to be. It's meant to be graphic. 
Think about this. A people covered in blood is a people covered in judgment. We may even say it this way. To be covered in the love of God, we must be covered in the blood of judgment. That's gory, and that's graphic, and that's disgusting, and it's meant to be. Think about the people of God. Blood is sprinkling down upon them. Blood. And they look at their hands and they look at their clothes. How is this ever going to be washed out? The point is it's not. You're stained with the blood of Christ. You're stamped with the blood of Christ as the church. And you're to never forget it. That's the point. You're never to forget who you are. You are marked out in blood. It's in who you are when you believe the gospel. And it touches everything that you touch. Imagine going home after that covenant ceremony and touching the door of your home. And there's still blood on your hand. Now there's blood on the door. Imagine going in and sitting down to eat and and looking down on your sleeve and there's blood. You never forget who you are. That's the point. And for the Christian, you're to never forget who you are. At all times, everywhere, you are covered in blood and you are set apart to God. That means fathers here today, you are a father covered in blood and you stand in your home as a priest to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at all times, you are to love your wife as Christ has loved the church as a picture of the gospel. And you are to display this gospel for your wife and your kids in your home as a father, as a husband covered in blood. There are moms here today and tomorrow you will sit down and and you will begin to to, to try to figure out what your kid's schedule is for the week and you will begin to pull your hair out at everything you've got going on. Remember, you are covered in blood. And your chief responsibility this week is to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ in your home and to display this radical being set apart to God in Christ. No matter what I face, I am covered in blood. You are a friend covered in blood. When you think about that friendship, that's not just for you to get what you want out of it and move on. No, you are a friend covered in blood, and the purpose of that relationship is to minister the gospel, to be merciful, to be kind, to be gracious, to push others to Christ. That's who you are. You are a friend covered in spring in blood. You are an employer sprinkled in blood. You are an employee sprinkled in blood. You are a professor sprinkled in blood. You are a teacher sprinkled in blood. You are a student sprinkled in blood. You are an athlete sprinkled in blood. And your goal at all times is to look down at your hands. Oh, another one's been judged for me. No matter what I do, no matter what I face, oh, I have life because another one's life has been taken. And I am marked out to display that life in the world. And notice that's why he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now this is just a part of writing a letter. But Paul and here Peter infuse the normal parts of writing a letter with the gospel. He says, I write to you and I want grace to be multiplied. I want it to expand and be reproduced in your life and reverberate at all times. And notice grace. Grace is the favor of God despite our sin, despite what we deserve. We deserve hell. And yet on the cross, Jesus endured the wrath of God for us. 
And Peter says, I want you to experience that grace, that undeserved favor at all times. I want it to be multiplied to you. Notice peace here. Shalom. It means the war is over. The struggle is over. It's done. We were at war with God with our sin, raging against Him. And yet Jesus steps in the way and He endures God's fury. He endures His wrath for us so that we can stand and say, I have peace. I have peace with God because the war is over. He says, I want grace and peace of the gospel to reverberate through everything you do. See, some of you are here today and you're working really, really hard. Some of you don't even know why you're working. Some of you don't know why you're working. You're working for something. You're working for some favor that's just out there and it's abstract. You want someone to tell you you're doing a good job. I'm proud of you. I love you. And you're working hard. And one of the ways it's fleshed out is you're working for a name for yourself. You're working for success. You want more numbers at work. You want your name on the door. You want all of these things and you're working, you're working, you're working for some sort of favor. Look at me. Look at me. May the grace of God be multiplied to you today. You don't have to work for the favor of God. You don't have to work for it. Trust in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. God accepts you. He loves you. He is for you in Christ. And it's all of grace. Stop working. Some of you are doing that in the context of the church. If someone out there somewhere would just be proud of me. Well, someone is. And it's God the Father in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. He couldn't love you more. In Jesus, He couldn't be more proud. In Jesus, you couldn't be more accepted. Some of you are here today and you're looking for peace and you can't figure out where it is. And so you think, if I just get to the next stage in life, if I just reach that stage, if, if I could graduate and go to college, if I could leave college and get married and get a job, and then I got to get a master's degree, and then I got to move to the next level, and then I'm going to retire, and then we're going to go to the beach, and then this is what we're going to do. And you're always looking for some sort of peace, and it never happens. You know why? You're trying to make this world your home and find peace here, and it's not here. It never will be until Jesus sets his foot on this planet and makes it new. That's why you're racked with worry and not peace. That's why you're racked with anxiety and not peace. You're scared you're going to lose something. And you lay in bed at night wondering about the worst case scenario tomorrow. And you can't go to sleep with peace. You know why? You're making this world your home. You have forgotten who you are. And so lay there in bed and remember who you are. Remember the war with God is over. You are covered in blood. Judgment has happened for you. The worst war, the worst anxiety, the worst conflict, the worst stress that you have ever been involved with is your war with God. And that war in Christ is over. And that's where you rest. Some of you just need to believe today that God's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. He knew you would be high maintenance. He knew it. He knew you would be a little brat, even, and he still adopted you. He's not mad at you. He's not irritated with you. Some of you are waging that war inside, and you can't find peace because you're always thinking God is frustrated with me. 
He's like everybody else who just wishes I would go away. It's like everybody else, I just can't make them happy. There's always stress, there's always conflict, and it's never over. No, may the grace of the gospel be multiplied to you today, and may the peace of the gospel be applied to your life. Don't forget who you are. All that God would hate about you has already been crucified in Christ. All that God would be frustrated with you with has already been crucified in Christ. You can have peace. Stop trying to make this world your home. You've been covered in blood for another kingdom. And such cosmic love makes us strange. And we never look around and go, how am I different? No. We are marked out. We've already been crucified and raised up for another kingdom. Let's pray.